Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast, Closer to the Fire. And uh, we're going to be talking about this Alberta pastor. He was arrested and jailed for holding church services at full capacity, not adhering to the physical distancing and encouraging people to wear masks in his gatherings. And he was warned this contravened public health orders. Many supporters of Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church, that is near Edmonton, believe that this was a violation of his rights under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Some have even gone so far as to say that he was being persecuted for his faith. And that's why we're talking about this on our Voice of the Martyrs podcast course. We work with persecuted Christians around the world. And other churches have also decided not to adhere to these health orders. It has brought differing opinions among Christians. There's been confusion, emotion, and in some cases, unfortunately, brought division. Well, joining me to talk about this and a, just a really interesting perspective that he brings some clarity is Don Hutchinson. Now, Don is a lawyer. He's a longtime member of Canada's Christian Legal Fellowship. He is a member of the Law Society of Ontario. Don also served several years as Chief Legal Counsel for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. He has written a couple really important books that deal with this topic. He is the author of Under Siege, Religious Freedom and the Church in Canada at 150. And his most recent book is Church and Society, First Century Citizenship Lessons for 21st Century Christians. Don has appeared on many television and radio programs, in addition to writing opinion editorials for a variety of publications, both Christian and secular. Don, thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Greg. Okay, let's get right into it. The big question, what happened to Pastor James Coates? Is that persecution for his Christian faith? Why and why not? Well, the short answer is no. But for a slightly longer answer, let me use an illustration. Let's pretend that the world is a giant water park and there are fences between the countries. Some countries have pools that are 24 feet deep. Some countries have pools that are four feet deep. And some countries have splash pads. We go into the water park knowing one thing. Christians are afraid of the water because they don't know how to swim. We see over in some of the, the deep end pool countries that Christians around the pool are being thrown in by citizens. And we look up, we see the lifeguards, and we expect the lifeguards are going to do something to save them. But the lifeguards are doing nothing. And some of the lifeguards come down and throw the Christians in as well. A lot of Christians are drowning. Some are uh, treading water, and, and a few get out of the pool. And we would consider this to be persecution. If the lifeguards are the government, not only are they watching, but they're endorsing what's taking place. And the other citizens, are tossing Christians, uh, uh, tempting Christians, uh, uh, harassing Christians. Then we see in another country where the shallow pool is, the Christians are being thrown in, but they can stand up. So the lifeguards are sitting there watching, and they're doing nothing. But they aren't throwing Christians into the pool. Now, some of the people who are throwing Christians in get into the pool and start pushing them under the water, and Christians are drowning and other Christians are getting out and they're running. And this is the situation where the mob is being allowed to run free by government, but the government isn't officially sanctioning what they're doing, and that's persecution. And then we get to the splash pad. The splash pad is more like a democracy. 
There's plenty of water. The Christians are still afraid of the water, but the likelihood of drowning is pretty slim. There comes a point where the Christians even get to turn the water off and on or have the government turn the water off and on. And uh, it can be a little bit challenging because they're afraid of the water, but they're not in danger of drowning. And this latter situation is where Canada is. But the Christians in the splash pad still have that fear. The use of language and words or some experiences in the past in the country create a psychological barrier for them, a mental or an emotional barrier. And we might think it's objective, oh my goodness, you can't drown, so it's not persecution. But for them, it could be subjective because the fear is very, very real. This idea of um, mental or a emotional uh, persecution or the beginnings of persecution, elements of persecution that might grow, uh, is explained really well in Floyd Bravel's new book, Trouble on the Way. In Canada, we, we've had a little bit of a history. We had a, a strong history where a lot of people saw Canada as a heavily Christian-influenced nation, and it was. And gradually, moving away from that Christian influence, we reached the 21st century, and we saw uh, some changes taking place that caused Christians to start to think, is this persecution? But it's up here, it's not harassment or, or abuse. And those situations we saw in the early part of the century with the legalization of same-sex marriage, some provinces accommodated Christian marriage commissioners who would not perform same-sex marriages, other provinces did not. So they went into the courts and people saw what was going on in the courts and started to wonder, how's this gonna affect me in the long run? Catholic and Christian school funding in different provinces was being challenged um, and different governments started to take another look at things. Uh, certainly we saw in Quebec where there's no longer a Catholic school system at all. And Christians started to say, how's this going to affect me in the long run? Uh, more recently, about a decade ago, there, were, um, there was a push for gay-straight alliances in all schools, including Christian schools, without allowing the schools to set the parameters for those GSAs. Those GSAs were mandated as to how they would be structured. And some Christians started saying, how safe is it for my schools or for my children in school? And then the, the sex education curriculum started to change and, and uh, teach same-sex practices. And again, Christians started to say, well, we have to teach this in Christian schools? That's imposing on who I am. And then I think the most recent one was 2018 uh, or 2017, December 2017, when the federal government announced that the Canada Summer Jobs Program would require people to, to sign an attestation statement that they endorsed uh, same-sex relationships and that they did not challenge uh, the laws to abortion uh, in the country. And a lot of uh, conservative Christians and people of other faiths as well felt that this was a direct attack. They lobbied the government and a year later it was changed back to everybody can apply uh, as long as their activities are not um, in, in a certain range. So 
what we're dealing with in the big picture is, is this persecution? In the traditional historic understanding of persecution, no, it's not. But I think in the minds of some people who have developed a fear, and we know one of the things that, that we find most frequently through the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, is fear not, don't be afraid, I'm with you. But it doesn't prevent us from being afraid, knowing that we should not be afraid. You bring up some things that I had not thought about in terms of, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. And, you know, if this was an isolated case and in the cases that you mentioned had not happened, maybe there would have been a different response. I know for people like me, certainly you bring a bias. I've traveled, as you know, to dozens of countries, reported on persecution, met hundreds of persecuted Christians. So when I hear this, I go, no, that's not persecution. Um, but when you understand a little bit more of the mentality, and I'm not saying that that's where, you know, James Coates was coming from, but I think it is a way a lot of Christians are thinking as we become more of a secular uh, country, that that is playing into this and, and that people are responding. But, you know, I was listening to Pastor Coates and trying to, you know, from his sermons to try to understand, okay, where's he coming from here? I don't want to just shoot it down. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that see it very differently than I do. But one of the things he said that persecution often comes from the state, the things that the state forbids or obedience to Christ is a catalyst for persecution. All of us that believe the Bible absolutely agree to that. But has the government in this particular case, Don, and I think I already know your answer, though, but have they overstepped? Uh, and again, we're not going to get into you know, whether the government has overreacted to the this health uh, situation, because I mean, countries are dealing with this all around the world. But when we look at it, and we try to understand it, is the government uh, reaching in and causing religious freedom to be an issue? Because that's something that's talked a lot about this religious freedom. Well, the, the government health regulations vary from province to province. So their impact on the church vary from province to province. But the health regulations are not directed at the church specifically. They're directed at the general population. Now, some components impact the church, and a part of the regulation reduces, for example, attendance levels. And that's the situation Pastor Coates is dealing with, that in Alberta, it's a 15% of building capacity. Uh, but the general regulation that... Uh, everybody indoors wear a mask and social distance, that affects everybody in the population, not just in churches. So uh, when the question of religious freedom is raised, usually it's the charter right. Uh, Section 2A of the charter uh, guarantees our freedom of religion, and uh, it guarantees our freedom of religion in our relationship with government. However, there's Section 1 of the charter as well. And section one of the charter says that the government can set justifiable, reasonable limits on the freedoms in the charter. And the question becomes, is what's taking place justifiable, reducing church attendance? Uh, I, I think we'd be hard pressed to find a court in the country right now that doesn't think reduced attendance would be justifiable. I don't know if any court in the country would enter into the debate as to whether it should be 15% or 30% or 50%. Uh, I think almost any court in the country would agree that the general regulation requiring wearing of masks and um, 
social distancing would be enforceable. However, uh, if, if, it, if it was possible to demonstrate that it was essential to Christian worship to have 100% of the seats filled, I don't, I don't know many churches that fill 100% of the seats, but if it was determined that, that there was a belief that it, it, it had to be 100% of the seats filled, no masks, no social distancing, as much as the vast majority of Christians in Canada have accepted and are abiding by the government regulations, the minority or a group I refer to as the dissenters, that's the historic term when a group of Christians uh, disagrees with the majority, they're referred to as dissenters. The dissenters uh, would be taken seriously by the court. They might not get their way. In a 2004 case of the Supreme Court of Canada called Amsalem, the Supreme Court of Canada determined that it's not about what the majority believes and it's not about what the religious experts believe. You should believe in your faith and how you should practice your faith. It's about what you believe and practices that are directly connected with what you believe. In a later case, uh, in 2015, Loyola High School, the Supreme Court of Canada indicated that it is the responsibility of the government to treat all religions and no religion equally, not to impose uh, the, the government's will on religious practices, not to favor one religion and not to uh, hinder any particular religion. Um, so those two things are kind of what we've already talked about in the government regulations and the people who are the dissenters. But there's a third case that I think is relevant here, and it's actually an Alberta case. Uh, Alberta and Hatterian Brethren was decided in 2009 by the Supreme Court of Canada. And the Hatterian Brethren have a strong belief that the, sec the second commandment, that we should make no image or likeness of anything in heaven or on earth, applies to photography, that they don't want to be photographed. And so for decades in Alberta, Hatterian Brethren got driver's licenses after photographs on driver's licenses were the law, but they were able to get driver's licenses without photos on them. And then the government of Alberta changed the law and required everybody to have photo ID for national security reasons. And the Hatterian Brethren challenged this in the courts and the Supreme Court of Canada concluded that yes, their freedom of religion was being violated by the new law, but it was justifiable under section one as a national security concern. And what we're dealing with today is generally recognized as a, a, a provincial emergency, a national emergency and a global emergency, which I think meets that Hatterian brethren bar and increases the likelihood that the courts will say, yes, you do have to adhere to the health regulations that are put in place. You know, when I was uh, thinking about this, you know, okay, it's it's a minority of Christians uh, that uh, that are you know choosing to meet, you know, uh, to full capacity, and 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 some churches are actually having more people coming because other churches either not meeting or, you know, they're down to the fifteen percent or whatever it is. So, but but you know, and I can't always say, well, it's you know the majority say so we're right. Well. If that was true, people like Richard Wormbrand, who started Voice of the Martyrs, he was in the minority. Or, 
many of the pastors and leaders in China. I mean, we see it all over the world. So it's not about majority wins. I think the unfortunate thing that I've heard from this is, you know, and, and, and I believe that Pastor Coates is very sincere. I have no question about that. I know he's a good man and he's doing what his conscience would say. But I know he is disappointed that other churches aren't going along with this. And so there's that that frustration and that, you know, where the, the argument is brought up. Well, Jesus said to love our neighbor and, and into doing that, to loving our neighbor is to go along with the health code so that we protect people from getting this, uh, you know, COVID-19. Again, whether we think it's overblown or whatever, how do you respond to that loving your neighbor when Pastor Coates is saying, well, you love God first, and when you're loving God first, you will love your neighbor. And the argument is, we are loving God by meeting, and that is more beneficial to the community. How would you look at that, Don? Well, there's a balancing of, of Scripture that's taking place. Um, uh, Pastor Coates and the dissenters uh, look at uh, Hebrews 10 chapter or Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, which says, "Don't forsake meeting together," and they take that as a command uh, to meet together. Um, the majority see that verse in the context of Hebrews 10, where uh, the author of Hebrews, uh, let's call him Paul, because it's written in Pauline style. So Paul is writing and saying, "Stay faithful." And in your faithfulness, stir one, or one another up to good works, encourage one another, and continue to meet together. Don't forsake meeting together is actually what he says. Do not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So the majority see this as um, don't be a lone wolf Christian. Right. And, and I think when you have to bring in the understanding, too, in Hebrews, that at that time, there were a lot of believers that were scared and they were trying to hide their, you know, their relationship with Jesus. No, I'm not one of them. And and that and again, you have to come into the context and even that famous verse, remember those in prison as if you're in prison with them. That, there was persecution going on and the importance of meeting together. And, and you and I know this, meeting believers from other nations they go to great lengths to get together. I was in Eritrea a number of years ago where evangelical churches can't meet. They're meeting in the graveyard at three o'clock in the morning. And so again, that, that 15%, uh, you know, here in Alberta, and I've been to churches, I've spoken in churches that are adhering to the, uh, the health code here. And, uh, and I, you know, I could go to church on Sunday and preach, but I couldn't go to my gym. So, I mean, that was sort of where I was wrestling with. But that that coming together, and again, that 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 I'm trying to follow that argument. Well, it doesn't say that it has to be at full capacity. But do you understand that, Don, in terms of what they're saying, and that we have freedom of religion? Because I know from your books and from a recent article you wrote that yes, we have freedom of religion, but it's not just sort of whatever you want to do. Explain that. Yeah, uh, uh, and let me explain it from a biblical perspective sure. instead of from the legal perspective. I've already kind of touched on the legal constitutional. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the meeting together. So that Hebrews 10 and 25 has been taken by different pastors in different ways. There are pastors who, as you said, are observing the 15%. Some pastors are observing the 15% and adding additional services. 
right. so that they can meet together and get everybody together, but at different times. Uh, some pastors are, are observing the 15% and they're meeting by video. In fact, you uh, and I have both watched the last sermon that James Coates delivered because they have uh, a video meeting uh, facilitation in their, in their church. And there are people who are attending by video and then they, they make the, the video archive available so that folks like you and I can, can catch up on what's been said. Um, so there have been different expressions that way. The ones that have insisted on meeting as usual, some see them as selfish, others see them as continuing uh, what they're doing. But from a biblical perspective, it's, it's a bit of a challenge because we have a, a clear directive from the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter in the scriptures. And as you noted, the scriptures were written during a time of intense persecution of Christians. Uh, the first century was not like the 20th century. It was not where Christians were in the majority. In the first century, Christians were being persecuted by the state and by uh, other religious communities because they wouldn't worship other gods and they wouldn't bow down to the emperor. Yeah, and to just interject, it's, that's kind of like what North Korea is right now for the believers. They can't meet, and they're, if they're not going to worship the Kim family and they want to worship Jesus— that's kind of the that's kind of what was happening back then, wasn't it? Yeah, and and so the Christians were meeting in private, not in public. And uh, we have now circulating the the gospels, the words of Jesus. So they're they're the words of Jesus are being shared orally, but they're beginning to show up in writing. And and uh, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three record uh, Jesus being confronted about the emperor and saying, render, render unto God what is God's, and render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I think Paul and Peter are offering some commentary on what Jesus said in the context of the persecuted church of the first century when they wrote, uh, Paul in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authority, authorities. And, and uh, Paul in Titus, uh, remind the believers to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors. And then a few uh, uh, verses later, he repeats, honor the emperor. Now, were they encouraging people to worship the emperor? No, they weren't. Were they encouraging people to recognize the emperor as God or or to do everything the state had to, to say? No, they weren't. But they were encouraging the Christians of their day to submit to the governing authorities as good citizens. And uh, often brought up at that point is the, the push and shove of Peter being arrested uh, for preaching the gospel. And then Peter being released miraculously by angels in the night. And the next day he preaches the gospel again, he gets arrested again. Yeah, yeah. And so he's standing before the same tribunal, the same council again, and they tell him, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter's response is, I must obey God rather than men. Now, what we were dealing with in that circumstance was Peter who had been with Jesus, who was preaching the gospel, to those who had not committed themselves to Jesus, 
saying, no, I'm not going to stop advancing the gospel and sharing the gospel in the name of Jesus. You can do with me what you will. And they did. Before they let him leave, they had him beaten. And then he went back out and he did it again. And the reason they let him back out is because Gamaliel, who was Paul's teacher uh, before Paul became a Christian, uh, when Paul was growing up, Gamaliel, a, a famous Jewish rabbi, and Gamaliel stood before the council and said, if this is of God, you won't be able to stop it by imprisoning these men. And if it's not of God, it's going to fizzle out. So they beat Peter and they let him go. <laughs> yeah, and that, and that argument, and I've heard uh, Pastor Coates uh, say this, and I've heard others say this, and including friends of mine uh, that are choosing to meet, um, that we have to obey God, not man. You and I totally agree with that. Every Bible-believing follower of Jesus believes that. But here's the matter of conscience. And again, I believe that Pastor Coates and the others are very sincere in what they're saying. Can we have a disagreement on this, Don, that, okay, I don't agree with your stand. And, and again, I, it's unfortunate. I talked to a friend yesterday about this, and he said, you know, somebody that, you know, goes more along with uh, the dissenters, as, as you talk about them, um, that you're cowards or you're not totally biblical. I mean, that's where it gets in. Can we not agree to disagree on that? I mean, again, I'm just going to put my... If I was feeling that, this is what I would hope that I would say that, okay, in my in this situation, I believe we need to obey God and not man. This is our conviction, but we understand that not everybody is going to agree with this. I was talking to one of my friends. He's a pastor uh, here in Alberta, and he said, Greg, can I talk to you? Said, Absolutely. We got on. We started chatting, and he said, this issue has brought such division in the church. You know, there's some saying, we need to meet, and... You know, we need to, you know, forget what the government is saying. We're going to meet because we're obeying God. Others are saying, no, we need to follow what uh, the health guidelines are, being good neighbors and the rest of it. But it is causing division. Don, how do we navigate this as followers of Jesus? Because the world is looking and they're saying, you guys can't even get it together. How do we handle that? Well, uh, I think the first thing is that we don't um, publicly berate one another and and i think it's important for us to understand that historically there have been differences of, of opinion within the christian church um you know without dealing with the reformation and the protestants separating from the catholics just count the number of protestant denominations that exist over disagreements on uh, principles of scripture we need to focus on the things that we do agree on. Um, and, and I think we, we also, uh, this may sound a little bit paternalistic and, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm with the majority as far as understanding that our submission to government is to follow the health, uh, guidelines and, and, uh, that this is a temporary thing and that this is not persecution. So it, it may sound paternalistic to say, we need to have conversations about understand, understanding scripture because um, to pull out a verse and use it without putting it in its context is troublesome to me uh, when I see a Christian leader do it. 
when I look at Romans 13, and I've heard some of the presentation from uh, the dissenting pastors saying, well, rulers are not for terror. Uh, they're for good conduct. They should be in reinforcing good conduct. And going to church is good conduct. So they shouldn't be penalizing us. Um, you can't pull a, a, a portion of a verse or a verse out of the overall context. The context that's written in persecution, the context that within the scriptures, uh, we have Paul twice and Peter once talking about submitting to uh, the authorities and, and then Peter reinforcing to honor the emperor. Uh, we don't have a directive here that says we can't preach. We don't have a directive that says we can't pray. We don't have a directive that says there's no way for us to meet. What we have is a directive that says, rightly or wrongly, the governments of the political left and the political right from coast to coast to coast in this country are convinced that there are health safety measures that need to be implemented for the protection of the population. We elected them. We get to vote again. That's the beauty of democracy. We're on the splash pad. We get to decide who controls when the water comes on and when the water goes off. And um, it's, it's not for us in the middle of that term to say this temporary measure is so egregious that I will not follow it unless we're prepared to accept the consequences. Peter was prepared to be beaten. Peter was prepared to be imprisoned and he experienced both. Paul was prepared to be imprisoned and he was. Both Peter and Paul ultimately died at the hands of the government because of their religious convictions. You know, we look in the Old Testament, we hear the Old Testament stories and, and just take a look at two of them from the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, everybody is told they have to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar and worship it. And they say, we will not worship anyone but our God. Understanding that they could be thrown into uh, a, a cremation hot fiery furnace and they accepted that penalty. And they said, even with that penalty, our God can deliver us. But if our God does not deliver us, we accept the penalty. And they made their way into the fiery furnace because they would not bow down. We have not been commanded to bow down to anybody in this situation. In Daniel 6, uh, we have Daniel. And now Nebuchadnezzar is, is uh, Darius's successor. And or Darius is Nebuchadnezzar's successor. And Darius... Uh, is convinced to put in place a law that says you can't pray or make a petition of anyone except Darius the king for 30 days. Daniel prayed every day, three times a day, which puts me to shame. I, I try to pray continually, but I, I, I only have two formal set times of prayer in a day. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Daniel, further as a testimony to his faith, he opened the window of his prayer room so that people could hear him praying. And when he was arrested, he accepted the penalty of being thrown into a den of lions overnight. And we know the story, God delivered him. Nobody's told us we can't pray. Right, yeah. And he, I mean, yeah, he ultimately was yeah, in the lion's den and God rescued him and we love the story. Don, what can we learn from this situation? Um, 
I think is, I mean, you write a lot about it and encourage people to go to your website, donhutchinson.ca, your books, uh, a recent article that you wrote when COVID uh, constraints come to the church. Very important. Um, but what can we learn from this going forward? Because we do live in a culture that is becoming more and more opposed to the message of the gospel. And as you mentioned, uh, Floyd Brabell's book, Trouble on the Way, and he quotes a pastor friend of his that says, we're no longer the home team. And I, and I like that analogy. We're in a situation and we don't like it. We used to be more Christian. and But there's, there's some lessons I think that we can learn from this situation because we are going to invariably face situations where we would be more comfortable, at least you and I, uh, to say, no, enough is enough, and civil disobedience is the necessary measure. So what's the lessons here, man? Well, uh, Scripture commands and directs very clearly, first, civil obedience. And we're privileged to live in a democracy where if we have problems with the law, we can, we can approach our government. You and I have both visited countries where Christians can't approach their governments about what's going on. Our governments might not do what we want, but they've shown that they're willing to listen. Civil disobedience is a last resort. And if we resort to civil disobedience, we have to be prepared for the consequences. We also have to recognize that we're ambassadors for Christ. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Jesus. When we engage in civil disobedience, how does our behavior represent Jesus? The only civil disobedience we read about from Jesus is confronting religious leaders about misusing the scriptures and clearing the area of the temple that was designed for prayer from people who were selling their wares. Other than that, we see Jesus submitting, even paying his taxes to Caesar. We, we saw Peter's must obey God rather than men, and that was about letting people know that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. So civil disobedience is the last resort when there's nothing else that we can do. And when we do it, when we engage in it, we need to represent Jesus well. So for the church, I started off talking about how the, the, the mental or emotional fear develops from things we see happening we think it's a trend and it's magnified in Canada by all the stuff uh, that gets reported in the United States and so we see oh this this baker can't run his shop this photographer is not allowed to do what they want and and we we, we magnify the threat uh, and and it's not that we aren't genuinely affected by it but we need to deal with that fear <laughs> We do, and we need to have grace for each other. And I would encourage you, you're listening to us, watching us, is to be praying for Pastor James Coates, uh, yes. Grace Life Church, uh, just in near Spruce Grove, Alberta. And for the others, that that is their conviction. I don't doubt that for a moment. I, I know that James Coates doesn't want to go to prison. He's got uh, a wife and he's got children, uh, you know, and, and, and we pray that soon all churches we'll be able to gather and then this won't be an issue. Uh, but uh, again, Don, I think that we can learn from it. I'm, I, always, I always want to be hopeful. Um, again, I know some of my pastor friends are really struggling because of 
the various opinions and this is got emotional and for a yes. lot of people and uh but let's show grace to each other this is a real time that we can learn and one of the ways that we can do that is through prayer and uh, lifting up our brother and his family and others that are that are feeling that same conviction and uh you know again we want to be good neighbors we want to love people but we don't want to compromise either so don hutchinson thank you so much again your website don hutchinson.ca putting on the screen if you're watching if you're listening to us check it out you got some great books great articles you can learn and we can all learn together and 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 my caution is his here don is that people don't get in that echo chamber and only hear the opinions of those are reinforcing it i think we've seen that politically uh, we're seeing it even theologically one of the beauties of working with the voice of the martyrs is that we get to experience the church in all its various forms and you know we don't agree theologically and everything but god is working and we want to advance the kingdom so again don thank you so much for your time brother thank you greg let me close briefly with this the two great commandments love god love our neighbors jesus gave a third commandment at the last supper several times he said to the disciples love one another by this the world will know you are my disciples so when you talk about showing grace to one another let's love one another when we're thinking of loving our neighbors let's make sure we can share the gospel and when we're thinking about loving god let's be certain that we can worship and as pastor wormbrand worshiped alone in prison and we know many people around the world who are and and that's why we pray for them as if we're with them uh, we can worship through zoom we can worship uh, uh, on youtube we can worship on facebook we can worship in person uh, in different ways and praise god that uh, we have a government that has has heard that concern and, uh, and hasn't required us to shut down our religion and let's pray for our government too they need god's help they need god's wisdom again don thank you so much and that was a great uh, great way to close it off here thank you for joining me and god bless you brother thanks greg blessings and again a special thanks to don hutchison for being on the program and you may not have agreed with everything that was said you may have disagreed with many of the things that were said and that's okay the important thing is we continue to have dialogue and learning from each other, also showing grace and love, even in the midst of our disagreements. But the important thing is that we focus on Jesus. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire.